0: I want to continue on today in a little series I started last week called Time for Christmas. And my hope in this series is to encourage all of us to slow down a little bit and and remember what we celebrate and not let it be all about just being busy and we tend to get these big to-do lists and there's things we have to buy and uh, unfortunately when we do that it often becomes more about us trying to get it done than really sort of staying engaged and being a part of it. So take a little extra time this year, make sure you you sit down and have that cup of coffee and take a break and enjoy your your friends and your families and, and, you know, just remember the reason and think about Jesus and what He's done and how amazing this time of year is. So what, what I decided to do was sort of look at the Christmas story and kind of slow it down and really take it verse by verse almost and in hopes of, you know, demonstrating what we're talking about. Because if you're in a hurry, you might miss some stuff. And the Christmas story, uh, over time, has sort of been pushed together. And I think we, we miss a lot of what's going on if we don't take time to slow down and, and sort of look through it together. And really, as I said last week, it's not a lot. It's Luke chapter 2, it's Matthew chapter 2. A little bit of Luke 1, little bit of Matthew 2 and some Old Testament prophecy. But that's pretty much the Christmas story. And we spent some time in Luke 2 last week talking about the shepherds. And I I hope from last week's message that what you get, your takeaway was that God's heart for people that are broken and outcast, and that He wants people to be reconciled to Him. And we looked at the amazing uh, picture of the the feeding trough, the manger, and how Jesus, the the bread of life, the, the true bread that comes down from heaven, the very first thing that happened when He was born, He was placed in a feeding trough for the entire world, and how significant all those things are. Today we're going to dig into Matthew chapter 2 together. Uh, next week we're going to go back to Luke 2 and look at another part of that story. But today Matthew 2, I want to talk about Herod, I want to talk about the chief priests, and I want to talk about the Magi and how they fit into the story. So that's where we're headed. That's the intro transition, always a bad joke or two. I thought about uh, telling you a fish pun, but I'm trying to scale back. I'm not going to do that. Now, you know, I thought I always wanted a job estimating crowd sizes. I wonder how many people are in that field. <laughs> that bomb last night. I must have told it better. The inventor of autocorrect died recently. His funeral is next. Monkey. Autocorrect. Scripture reading. Here on purpose. (laughs) Monkey, not Mundy. It's okay. I had to explain it for somebody real quick. Which makes it even better for me. Matthew 2 verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And blessed be the word of the Lord. So as we've talked here uh, over time, one of the things that I've encouraged you to do is when you read the Bible, you're to try to put yourself into the story. You're to think about what it would have been like. You're to think about the experience. You're to even think about the people involved and what they would have been going through. And then you're to ask yourself, what can I learn from this situation? You see, the Bible, the way God presented the Bible to us, the scripture to us. It's 66 separate books written uh, over 2,000 years by 40 different authors, but all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a book of do's and don'ts. It's a book of these Holy Spirit-inspired stories that God wants us to enter into and think about so that we don't get stuck in a particular mindset or worldview. And we have a tendency by nature to do that. We, we sort of get fixed on what we think, and we have trouble hearing from people opposing anything against that. And so God knows that about us, and so He placed in the, in the Scripture this idea of learning to really engage in what's taking place in the stories. So we ask ourselves questions. Is, is there anything I can learn here? Am I like this? Is, am I like this person? And what, can, what can be changing in my life? Is God trying to speak to me in this situation? So. I want to do that here with this story in Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to sort of break it down a little bit at a time and sort of see what we might pick up as we slow down and go through it. So beginning again in verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Whenever you see the something like that after, it's kind of significant, after well, how long after, what was going on. One of the sort of... Um, problems we have in the Christmas story is that over time it's been sort of crushed together. And most of our nativity scenes have, the, uh, have Mary and Joseph and the baby, and they have the shepherds and also have the wise men. But the wise men did not show up that quickly, um, probably a year and a half, two years later. And in this passage, we're going to find that out. So you need to be thinking about that, that they all didn't arrive at the same time at the same place at the stable. Uh, there was a time gap there. So after, and hopefully we'll learn about how far after, after this. So let's start verse one again. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now, this is the time of King Herod, we find that out. Herod, um, was an evil person, and he, um, Referred to himself as the king of the Jews, but he shouldn't have. There, there was no way that uh, he could be the king of the Jews. He was in the wrong family line. He didn't come from the line of David. Uh, what he had done was politically he had hooked himself up with Rome, and uh, they had made him king, and then he had um, systematically killed uh, anyone in his family who might try and take a run at the throne. And that's how he became king and maintained his kingdom. And so we have that going on. So it's pretty significant now when some people show up, start saying we're looking for the King of the Jews, and uh, Herod calls himself that, but he's not who they're looking for. So already Matthew is weaving some drama into the story for us. And then we have the wise men, the Magi, and I want to make sure that when you're thinking about them, you sort of have in your mind what they're like. Um, They they came from Babylon. It's about a four-month journey. Um, we know historically, culturally, they would have been dressed in very beautiful colors like if you've ever seen Aladdin or something, the, the blues and the golds and the fancy clothing, um, this would have been their dress. There would have been more than three, by the way, so I, I hate to mess with the story again, but They did bring three gifts, but they would have traveled in a large group for safety's sake. They would have been very well armed. They didn't come on camels. They came on steeds because that's what they had in Babylon. And this would have been a very impressive group, probably of hundreds who show up on the scene. And so you you sort of need to be aware of that as you're reading into the story of who's showing up here in the process. And the, the Magi, they were astrologers which means that they look to the stars. Now, we're going to tie this in later, but God has told us not to do that for advice, and yet somehow he's using this for them. But I'll tie that in to the story later. So they show up on the scene, come in this big group. Um, um, We're here, they said, to find the one who's been born king of the Jews. We saw his star in the heavens, and we've come to worship him. Big deal. So Herod, not your star, somebody else's star, where is he? And it says in verse 3, King Herod heard this and he was disturbed. In the the original language, he was shaking. I don't think he was afraid. I think he was mad. Because all of the work that he'd done to manipulate his way to be king seemed to be threatened. And he wasn't going to let anybody threaten all of his manipulation and murdering and everything that he'd taken place to get to where he was. So he doesn't know how to answer them. So, in verse 4, it says, he calls together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, and he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Again, pretty interesting. Here, the one claiming to be king of the Jews has no idea about this and has to refer to the chief priest. Herod, this is Herod that's rebuilding the temple, by the way, and making these big claims about himself. He's all shaken up by this crazy group of people that's shown up, demanding to know where this king of the Jews is, and he can't just say in front of it's me you're looking for, because they've already said, no, it's not your star that we saw. So he calls the chief priests together, and uh, they look into the Scripture, and they they come to a place in Scripture in Micah, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, and they they go and open the Word, and they tell them, and we have it recorded for us in uh, uh, Matthew 2, 5, and 6, In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah... For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So long before these events, the prophet uh, Micah had foretold that it was going to happen. And the chief priests and teachers of the law, they knew where that was in Scripture. And so they opened the Scripture and they give this advice. And we find they get some really good information here because we've opened the Bible. And the Bible has and always gives us the truth. And we're finding out where Messiah or Christ is going to be born because they opened the Bible and they went there. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the sun, the, the star, had appeared. Herod wants to know. Now, start thinking something sneaky here. Now, we can look backwards at the story. We know Herod wasn't a good guy. But even then, you should be thinking, what's that all about? Why did he have a secret meeting? All this public stuff was going on. And why was it so important to know when the star had appeared? So he's got something devious he's up to, but we know that. Verse 8, he sends him to Bethlehem and he says, Go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and kill him. That's not what he says. (laughs) The scripture says, worship him, because that's what he said, but that's not what he's thinking. He's going to go and do like he's done to all his rivals. He's going to take care of that situation. So we see that happening in the process. Verse 9, And after they heard the king, they went on their way. So the, the Gentile astrologers from Babylon have been revealed scripture about where Jesus is and they go to find him. But guess who doesn't else go? The chief priests and the teachers of the law. They won't make a six-mile trip to go and find Jesus. See, they they know the book of the Lord, but they don't know the Lord of the book. And so they won't move in the process. And that's very significant that you see that in the story. Verse 9 again. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Very interesting. The star they'd seen in the west went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. What was the rejoicing about? Well, here's, here's the, what happened in that picture too. So four months prior, they had been in, you know, Babylon doing their thing and they see this star and probably they were aware of something happened because way back in their history, Daniel had been there. Remember when Daniel was in exile in Babylon? And he was put over the Magi. Uh, and and he had probably heard the stories from Daniel about Jesus, the Messiah, the one who was coming and waiting. And so when they saw this star and it started to line up, that had, was enough for them. They made this, years years later, a, 40, a four-month journey off into the process, and they'd seen a star, and it had been sort of over Jerusalem, so they went in that direction. But apparently as they got closer to Jerusalem, the star went out, so they stopped in Jerusalem. And then as soon as they find out that the Scriptures revealed to them they're supposed to be in Bethlehem, and they begin to leave, the star appears again. There was such a depth of religiosity, false worship in Jerusalem that it blotted out the light of God and you couldn't see it. So they didn't go after it and they didn't chase it. Darkness had fallen all over that area. But they see the star and they rejoice and they head on their way. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child. It says, so there goes our nativity story. They're in a house and it's no longer an infant. Jesus is a child time has passed they've moved from the stable into a house and some time has passed in the process on coming to the house they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh interesting gifts Try and imagine, and now put yourself as a big, huge group of people shows up at this house. They're all dressed in very bright colors. They've galloped up on steeds. They're very excited. They see Jesus. They fall down and they present to Him these amazing gifts of frankincense, incense, and myrrh. They watched the kid's movie here Friday night, The Star. And when one of the wise men comes up and presents frankincense to Mary and to Jesus, his thing is, yeah, I never know what to buy at Christmas. Because <laughs> frankincense, right? But gold, frankincense and myrrh, see this is how powerful God is. At the end of Matthew 2, Joseph Joseph is going to have a dream and he's going to be warned in that dream to go to Egypt. Get Jesus and Mary and get out of here. You need to go. Gold, frankincense and myrrh would have their most value in Egypt because the culture in Egypt was big into this whole embalming thing that they did. Most of you know that about Egypt. Frankincense and myrrh were two of the main things that they used in that, and the gold would have been what they covered the ornate sort of coverings in, in the process. God, who's a God of provision, knows exactly what these guys are going to need to make this journey to Egypt, to have all that they'll need while they're there, and to have what they need when it's time to come back. God is a God who knows our needs and provides for them. Doesn't always happen the way we want. Sometimes it takes a while. But he knows what's going on, and we're part of his story. You can trust him. And so that's what he's doing ahead of time. They don't know what they're getting this stuff for. They haven't had the dream yet. But there it shows up. Gold frankincense. Because I kind of kind of think every now and again to myself, they're probably like, huh. <laughs> what do we do with this? I guess we could regift it. So none of you have ever done that, I know. Regift. So, verse 12. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Off they go. They're not going back to Herod. Herod, Verse. let me just read you 16. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in his vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he'd learned from the Magi. So... Um, We can know from that that Jesus was probably around two years old. It's a horrible situation. Herod was an evil, evil person. Uh, And uh, he didn't want to know Jesus and have his kingdom disrupted. And he would do whatever he could, even if it meant wiping out a group of boys in a town. Much uh, similar to... Uh, previous in history when Pharaoh did the same thing to the Hebrews Hebrews, and wiped out all the young boys who was trying to. We know Moses came out of that as the deliverer, and Jesus is going to come out of this as the true deliverer in the process. So what can we learn from the story? What kind of questions should we even ask when we read a story like that? We should look at those characters and ask yourself about them. Is there anything, you know, I could learn from Herod? Is there anything I should be learning from the the uh, wise men. Is there something I should be learning from the chief priests and the teachers of the law? And I think that if we're willing to ask ourselves some hard questions, we can learn from all of them. What can we learn from Herod? He's so evil. I'm a believer. I'm I'm nothing like that. But you know, maybe... um See Herod's problem was this. He was more worried about saving his throne than his soul. He was more worried about hanging on to what he had than than to think that he would have to walk all the way from that to to follow after Jesus and to really find life. And so we have to ask ourselves, is there something, are there things in my life that I'm hanging on to that are more important than Jesus? Because if I am, I'm not experiencing the fullness of life that he has for me. Am I ever like the chief priest and the scribe where I, I, you know, I sort of know this book and I'm pretty good about telling it to others but I won't walk six miles to go and meet with the author to find out what changes I need to make. I won't let it sort of do its thing in me any longer the way it needs to where it's constantly changing me and moving me towards Him. How about the Magi? Am I, am I willing, you know, to just sort of go all in for Jesus as He calls to me and to experience Him all in on the process? The Magi, were, think about it now. So, they had gone all this distance seeking something, but seeking in and of itself isn't enough. We have a whole group of people today in our culture who think, well, I'm a spiritual seeker, like they found it. But see, even with the Magi, it was good that they were seeking, but reality happened for them when, as they were seeking, they were brought to the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord was opened to them, and they could respond to the word of the Lord, and as they responded to the word of the Lord, they found Jesus. See, that's what has to happen in our lives. We can seek until we come to the place where where we hear the gospel, the good news, and then we respond to the gospel so that we can be reconnected with Jesus, so that we can connect to God forever. The good news happening at Christmas, Jesus comes fully God, fully man, born in an amazing perfect way, lives a perfect life, and then willingly at Easter goes to the cross on our behalf where He exchanges His life for ours. Pays for our sin, dies, defeats death, rises again. That's the gospel. Our response is to simply believe in that. Believe in our hearts that He did do that for us at the cross and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. And then we're, we're connected to God in Christ forever. But we have to hear the Word in order to respond. And so while seeking is okay, it's not the end. You have to get to the Word, hear the Word of the Lord so that you can know Jesus. That's what happens in the story that you have to hear. And the love of God for you. I hope you can drink this in. God was reaching out to a group of people who were doing something He had told everybody not to do, look to the stars, but it was the only way He knew He could connect them to the truth, and so He used that to bring them to the Word so that the Word could reveal to them Jesus, so they would come to Jesus and be reconciled. So I, um, I'm amazed... And how God uses story, His story to connect us. And this is a lot. There's a lot of pieces in play here in this story. All the things that are happening that we've been reading about, and shepherds and angels and wise men and censuses and taxes and good people and not so good people and people that are listening and troubling, all that stuff. God's using all of that because He cares for people and He does that in our own lives. Alice and I, you know, I, a quick story, but before we had come to know the Lord, me ever, and Alice had had an experience when she was like 12, but we had walked in a different direction in our mid-20s. Um, God was there knocking on the door again, so to speak, or for the first time for me. And, and uh, she kept getting invited to this Bible study by this group of folks. that, And I didn't want her to go. It was at night, and I didn't know any of these people. I didn't want her to go. I still work nights, running nightclubs and stuff. And so I'd say, you know, I'm not really comfortable with that. And so it's, uh, you know, it's too bad it's on a night that I work. And then miraculously, this Bible study that I met on the same night for virtually ever changed nights. And uh, that's not miraculous. That's so all of a sudden now it's on a night when I'm off. So I've lost my excuse to go. So I have to go. Fine. And I go in. And I don't know if you've ever been, maybe you are being like that right now. You've been dragged into something I didn't want to go to. So I was like this, trying to get the face right. they start talking. So, long time ago now, that was 1985 and I'm sitting there and I remember clearly the one scripture that I heard was faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God that's what they were talking about. didn't mean a whole lot to me but there was enough there that as I just sort of took that in, all of a sudden God began to reveal to me all the times that He'd been there for me in my life even though I didn't know Him and it was pretty spectacular. And so we left that study and nothing happened there and we we went home and uh, that night, I, I just got down by the side of my bed. And this, I didn't know how to pray. I just said, okay, Jesus, if you're real, I'm yours. I went to bed. I woke up different. Certainly not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, and those of you who know me would attest that, but different. Something had changed radically, radically. And, and Alice, without me knowing, she'd done the same thing in the same night. See, that's part of this huge story that's taking place that He's weaving us into. And He wants that for all of us. And, and I brought that up this Christmas on purpose as we're heading towards Christmas. Some of you, you're here and you've never opened up the most amazing gift that's ever been offered you. And that's this life in Christ. And, and we, we get it by responding to what we've heard, that, that we see God's lengths reaching out to us in Christ. And so we respond to that. And, and you know, we generally say a little prayer like, Lord, I, I'm a sinner. We, we sort of admit, I've gone my own way. Would you forgive me? And he does. And then in faith, we invite and accept Jesus into our heart and lives as Lord and Savior. And it changes everything. Well, I say that to you all the time so that you know that. But on this particular day, I'm going to do just something a little different here at the end if you'll bear with me, in just a moment, and I won't do it long. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, because I want to invite you to open the gift. And if you've never prayed that prayer, I'm going to encourage you to do that with me. In a moment, everybody will have their eyes closed. I'll ask you to slip your hand in the air so I can see it. I'm not going to bring you up or anything. But but some of you need to unwrap this gift that's been given to you. And the story is that you're here today, not on accident, but on purpose, because He's directed you here for this moment. And so this just may be your moment. So let's do this. And I, this won't last long, I promise you. Best bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. And today, if, if you would say, you know what, Steve, I want to pray that simple prayer with you and unwrap the most amazing gift ever, th- this gift of Christ in my life, eternal life. Would you just slip your hand in the air so I can see it, so I can pray for you? There come hands all over the building. Slip it. There we go. Praise God. All right, you can put your hands down we're going to pray a prayer and I'd encourage everybody to pray families do things together simple prayer pray after me Lord Jesus please forgive me of all my sins come into my heart be my Lord be my Savior in Jesus name Amen and Amen let me pray for you Father I pray for each person here and ask God that you would just bless them and all those who responded to that prayer Lord fill them now With your Holy Spirit, refill all of us, God, as we rejoice with the angels about people coming to know you. You are such an awesome and amazing God. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.